The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Hello and welcome to the Radiate Wellness Podcast with your host, metaphysician, Reiki master, and hypnotherapist, Christy Clemens Hoffman. Each week, we will discover teachings, tips, and tools to radiate your best life ever with practitioners, authors, and luminaries to help you on your path. Wellness, joy, peace, abundance. What do you want to radiate? Hello and welcome back to the Radiate Wellness Podcast. Today we radiate history and haunting with Rebecca Pittman, who is the author of the History and Haunting series, as well as the Countdown to Murder series. So two of my favorite things, true crime and paranormal. Welcome, Rebecca. Thank you for joining me today. Well, I'm very much excited about being here. You have a very eclectic group of topics in your podcast. That's what I love about the radiate blank We can radiate whatever we need to radiate, right? So, you know, this is the spooky season and it's one of my favorite seasons because we get to talk about all things spooky and the hauntings and history is so fascinating. What got you started? I live only about 30, 45 minutes from the Stanley Hotel in Estes Park, Colorado, which is the most haunted hotel in America. And I would go up there twice a month because Estes Park is gorgeous. Oh, yeah. And nobody had written a comprehensive book on the Stanley Hotel with its incredible history and inspiring Stephen King to write The Shining. So the owner gave me permission. While I was writing that book, somebody said, hey, have you heard of the Myrtles Plantation? Then it was Limp Mansion, Lizzie Borden, Salem Witchcraft, Versailles. I didn't plan it, actually, Christy. It was one of those things that snowballed. Oh, isn't it though? Wow. Had you been interested in the paranormal before that? Oh, always. <laughs> always. I think the ghost of Blackwood Hall in Nancy Drew was my favorite when I was in junior high. And then in high school, they actually aired the movie The Haunting by Shirley Jackson, which is my all-time favorite. And I was hooked. I thought, okay. Plus, my mom had some psychic ability that showed me there was a lot more out there than what we think. And so it's kind of a blend of different things. But yeah, Halloween's always been my favorite anyway. (laughs) And history, have you always been interested in history? That's my favorite part, to be honest. Three quarters of the history and haunting books are the research about the venue, the event, or the person. And then the last quarter of the book is the paranormal activity going on there today. So you very much get a deep dive into the history of that building or the event like the Salem Witch Trials. Lizzie Borden was such an interesting 
crossroads because not only is the house where the double murders happened interesting, but to this day is, I believe, guilty of doing them, even though she was acquitted. So you have true crime intertwined in that book. It's not just paranormal. Well, even the Salem witch trials and Salem probably has a true crime aspect to it, too. Well, they were murdered. I mean, you've got to flat out just say it. Those girls finally admitted they made it up and did it for sport. And by then, 19 people had hung. One man was crushed to death and five died in jail. Oh, man, that is crazy. Have you ever thought about coming to Kansas City? Because we've got a lot of haunted places here. I have driven through there near you on the way to Limp Mansion in St. Louis a lot. So next time I promise to do a pit stop. (laughs) Well, you have to. I will take you to the Shawnee Indian Mission, which is very haunted and has a horrific history, as well as Civil War history and basically the direction of our country, too. There's a rich history there. So I know your most recent paranormal book is History and Haunting of Versailles. Versailles. Did you get to go there? I had my ticket, my passport, and COVID hit. I mean, literally hit. And so it got canceled. I still needed to have the book finished. So they put me in touch with one of the historians there, which was very kind of them. The palaces in Europe are not real open to the paranormal part. They're becoming more so. But it's more like, no, we want to focus on the history part, which is fine. But when um, the Palace of Versailles got back to me and said, yes, you can write about our paranormal history, I fell off the couch. So I got everything I needed without actually getting to go there. And I'm probably going there this fall or next spring. That's wonderful. So I have to ask, is the whole grounds of Versailles haunted or is it just the palace or the Trianon or some of the outbuildings? In my opinion, there's things going on everywhere based on the reports I got. I had a lot of people write to me with their personal experiences. I think the most famous haunting and the most prevalent is Marie Antoinette at the Petit Trianon, which was her, as you know, private hamlet, her own little chateau. That one's been documented, and several people have had the same experience there. But inside the palace itself, yeah, there's a lot that goes on, and I don't see how there couldn't be. There was actually a period where 154 people were poisoned. It was actually called the Affair of the Poisons because all of these wealthy lords and other people were crammed in there to pay homage to Louis the 14th, Louis the 15th. And in order to gain rank and climb up to earn the king's favors, they were knocking each other off. And there were women knocking their husbands off. And suddenly there was that many people that they called it the affair of the poisons. So a lot of deaths, sadly, especially in that era, there was always the threat of disease. And Versailles was originally a swamp. So you've got the laborers dying of yellow fever and and all of these things that these mosquitoes brought. So there's quite a bit going on there. Oh, my goodness. That is just fascinating. You know, all the places in Europe, it is so old. I mean, most of them are haunted. And, you know, everywhere that I go, I always see spirits anyway. It doesn't mean that the place is haunted, but there's spirits everywhere. So that's very. Do you, you have? Do you have an ability to do that? Mm-hmm, I do. Oh, that's great. I'm a practicing medium, 
Yeah. So that's very helpful. Now, have you ever been on any, oh, what do they call that? When investigations? I've done my own. When I was writing the books, I would always stay overnight at least once. Usually I would go back again and something was always happening to me. I don't have ghost equipment. I'm not putting it down. But when things happened to me, it was always when I didn't expect it. I wasn't going around, show me a sign. It was always on a peripheral almost. But at Limp Mansion, I've had something kick the bed and sit on my feet. I've heard gunshots in the hallway. At the Myrtle's Plantation, my earrings moved down the mantle. Someone pulled the blanket off my bed. And I was never looking for it. And I think that tends to be what happens a lot in the spirit realm is they're not there to be put on display. They're not a party trick. And I think it's because that I wasn't doing that. I was focused on something else every time something happened to me. Interesting. Are you finding that this topic of history and haunting is very popular? You know, what's interesting is when my latest book was Countdown to Murder Alec Murdoch, because that case went international, it's still going on, it's still evolving. He's in prison for killing his wife and son, but there is so much more still about to hit. And a lot of documentaries coming out in September, which by the time this airs, it will have been a month prior to this. But yeah, when I decided before I wrote it, because I have such a huge following for the paranormal. I went on Facebook and said, which book would you prefer? Something on true crime, which is huge, Mm -hmm. or paranormal. It was straight down in the streaming, paranormal, paranormal, paranormal. I still think it is the biggest genre across the board, whether it's movies or film, you know, books, you name it. It's not going away. Halloween starts earlier every year. It's just huge. And people want I think it's like almost like the last frontier it's mysterious Mm -hmm. it's still very rare to catch an apparition or something on film so there's still all of that intangible out there that I think really tweaks people's interest and it's spooky and it's mysterious and you've got the whole thing Right. There's so many shows out there. Zach Bagans, of course, and Chip Coffee talking about the paranormal and the paranormal podcasts. Actually, Jim Harold's Campfire, he's been on the show a couple of times. And that's why we drink Two Girls, One Ghost, all kinds of paranormal and true crime. They tend to go hand in hand like peanut butter and jelly. They do segue. That's why I actually slipped into true crime. I was afraid I would lose some of my fans for paranormal, but it was just the opposite. They were very excited. They have a lot of the same elements, don't they, Christy? They They have puzzles, clues, you know, that you follow, the unknown. I think there's a lot of that same titillation, if you want to put it that way, in both true crime and paranormal. Well, if you think about the affair of the poison, the mm-hmm. axe murderers, the Sally House, all of these, they have true crime elements anyway. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know, with the countdown to murder Pam Hupp, countdown to murder Alec Murdoch, no, there wasn't any paranormal that came into those books. But again, I felt when I did the research, I thought this is very similar. I am looking for the clues. I'm looking for the connections. I'm putting all this together. And so, no, they're not that different. And they happen to be the two biggest genres for a reason, I think. People, it's with true crime, it's almost voyeuristic. 
you want to peek behind the curtain and see what happened. For me, it's that last clue of what tripped them up. That is my favorite part with Dateline or anything else is what did this guy who thought he was smarter than everybody do wrong? But let's face it, the spirit world are people who have passed on. It's their energy and you can't destroy energy. It can only take another form. So there's nothing to me that is so woo-woo about ghosts because when you die, when you leave this mortal body, that spirit has to go somewhere. You can't destroy it. It's not buried with you. It's not cremated with you. It's out there. And that's the energy that interacts with people that we call ghosts or a haunting. The question that amuses me the most is people, do they change their personality once they die? Because so many people think if it's a ghost, then it's evil. It's scary. That makes no sense. If you were a nice, kind person in this life, you're not going to change your personality because you died. Have you found that? Don't you find that amusing? I do. I do too. Well, and the thing is that what is left behind is that energy. You know, when we go back to pure positive energy, we go back to that love and we go back to our essence. But the part of us that may have done some of these heinous things, that part would make sense. It would stay behind, doesn't it? Well, absolutely. You're not going to change, you know, your personality per se. By the way, speaking of Jim Harold, he's had me on his campfires and oh. does a great job. Great, really nice guy. Isn't he awesome? Um, he is. Great personality. But yeah. anyway, with the ghost realm, how do I put this? Oh, and I talked to Lloyd Arbach, and I mean, I call him the godfather of ghosts, paranormal, ESP, all of that. He gave me a very interesting synopsis of ghosts. He believes they interact with us through telepathy, that we don't see them with our eyes. We don't hear them normal like we normally do. And if you think about it, these ghost documentaries, they are picking them up on film and tape recording. They're asking questions, but they don't hear it till they play it back. And I find that interesting. You're not hearing it like we usually do. It's an imprint on the tape recorder. It's an imprint on your camera. And that made so much sense to me that you can have five people experience the same thing in a room and they won't experience the same, have the same outcome at all. One person smelled the flowers, the other one didn't. Somebody saw the apparition, the other one didn't. And so to me, I think that's amazing. It's energy, it's frequency, it's vibration connecting our brain with whatever energy that spirit's imparting. And it shows up on the film and it shows up on a tape recorder. Right. And for those of us who are sensitive, those who have, of us who can pick up on this stuff, I mean, it's like that's imprinting on our senses and that energy is around us. You know, you go in someplace and the energy that's imprinted there it exists alongside of us, but just in a dimension that we can't perceive. Exactly. Right. Are you familiar with this, the uh, stone tape theory? Oh, sure. Right. The theory that there are certain materials that hold that energy. Right. And I find that fascinating. I mean, the castles in Europe, a lot of them were made of limestone and other things that had a lot of quartz. We use quartz in radios to transmit and receive. Right. So these castles were built with all this quartz. 
and they would capture the energy usually of something tragic, something that emoted a lot of emotion and it captured it and would play it back during certain times. I guess when the energy was right or whatever was happening and that's why it looks like a loop. It doesn't vary. The monk comes out of this wall, walks across the grounds, goes into this wall. He never deviates. You can't interact with him. It's not sentient. It's a loop that that quartz is playing back. And that's the stone tape theory. And that just fascinates me. Yeah. You know, I live in a 102 year old house, hundred and I don't know, something one, I don't know, over a hundred years old. And, you know, one of these limestone basements, walls this thick and same thing, the plaster walls, plaster and laugh that holds that stuff. And this, I think this is why the Shawnee Indian mission that I referenced has limestone, limestone and brick buildings, Stanley hotels, the old foundation, all these older places do hold that energy. And it's an intense energy. When you yes, get that. It is. especially to someone like you that's on the frequency for it, that must be very interesting. It's interesting. And after a while, you learn to turn it on and turn it off. So it doesn't have to bother you when you're sensitive. So now, some people don't know how to manage it and it can bother them. They get headaches, they get sick of their stomach, they just feel really uneasy. But you can learn to work with it and manage it. So you can learn to train yourself that way. It's interesting. It's really interesting. So you've written about all types of different hauntings. So there's the stone tape theory, which is like the imprint theory, the Mm -hmm. replay. And then there's the sentient. Can you break down what the sentient haunting is? I don't want to take too much of your time, but I would like to ask you a few simple favors. First of all, please rate, review, and share this podcast wherever you're listening. You know, it sounds like a simple little thing and it is, but it has a huge impact for us because it helps other people find us in the podcasting algorithms. I don't know how it works, but I do know that it helps a lot. Next, if you would subscribe or follow wherever you're listening, whether that's YouTube or Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Pandora, Spotify, wherever you're listening, just hit subscribe or follow and that helps you and it helps us. It helps you because then you receive notifications when we have a new episode that's out. It helps us because again, algorithm, magic, I don't know what happens, but it helps. And then finally, you can support our podcast in a tangible way by going to radiatewellnesscommunity.com slash podcast and then click on support the show. Now we have a new feature too. We are now on Patreon. You can find us on Patreon. You can also find the link to Patreon when you go to radiatewellnesscommunity.com slash podcast. So on Patreon for $3 a month or $5 a month, you can support your metaphysical and spiritual growth. You can learn about upcoming guests and you can get early and ad-free versions of the shows. So please support us. This podcast is free for you to listen but we have costs and quite frankly, they come out of my pocket. So if you like this content, if you get a lot out of it, please see what you can do to give back. Thank you so much. Sentient means intelligent, that they aren't a loop. They aren't a residual haunting. A residual haunting is what we just talked about. It is something being played back. It's like watching the old VCRs, the tape. You can watch it, 
but you can yell at the characters on the screen all you want. They're not going to turn around and talk to you. It's a tape. You rewind it and watch the same thing every time. That's a residual haunting. For some reason, the house or something is playing back something from the past that's imprinted. There's energy around it that, that plays back at some point for some reason. Sentient means they're intelligent. They will interact with you. You can say, would you please turn the lights off and on? And they'll do it, which I've had that happen at Limp wow. Mansion. They accommodated me to and answered questions that way. So these are the ones that will interact. Poltergeist is a good example because they cause things to move and crash and do things very active there's intelligence behind it. So those are the two different kinds. And I think a lot of the hauntings are residual, to be honest, but that's not to say there aren't the ones that are actually interacting with you. I was at a, an investigation at the John Warnell House here in Kansas City, and it was on the Civil War battlefield of the Battle of Westport and had been a field hospital and was in the Warnell family, which was related to the family that had the Shawnee Indian mission. And it was an interesting mix of, it was like residual with sentience. So they would answer, they, the spirits would answer questions, but as pertained to their time in history, if that oh, makes sense. Oh, isn't that interesting? That was interesting. So I interacted with someone who was in charge of their troops. So maybe not a general, but a major, somebody who was in charge of their troops, and they were planning their battle for the next day. And so they could answer questions about that but we're not aware of the present day. So that was kind of interesting. That is very interesting. That's actually the first time I've heard of it being time specific like that. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So I don't know if they were just, like you said, just looping continually mm -hmm. in the time period, which they were, but they were at least sentient about that. And then there have been people think they were reenactors at the Warnell House Museum. It's like, wow, what authentic reenactors you have no we don't have any reenactors here oh my word yeah that's, that's pretty cool right so occasionally we do see clothed apparitions very solid seeming apparitions and that type of thing now what is the most haunted place that you have invest well not investigated but written about you know, I could, everywhere I've gone, something's happened, except for the Lizzie Borden house. And I think when I spent the night there, I was so engrossed in trying to figure out how I was going to put it in words. I wasn't looking around for spooky. I was laying there in where her bed was in her bedroom, picturing hearing her parents on the other side of the wall, knowing you're going to kill them the next morning. Well, her father and stepmother Right. But as far as back-to-back-to-back -back -back hauntings, it would have to be Limp Mansion in St. Louis. We were just out there, my husband and I, this year. I um, was doing a television show for the Pam Countdown to Murder Pam Hupp. And I've stayed at Limp a million times. They sell my book there. They're the most incredible people. The Pointer families worked so hard to bring that house back to stepping back into the mid-1800s. And... So when I was there with my husband, and we've only been married a year and a half, he was going, so something spooky is going to happen, right? And I said, I have never been disappointed. So while we were doing the book signing, the owner said, Rebecca, could you go back to the gift shop and bring out all the books? I said, absolutely. The gift shop there is a vault where the limps used to keep their furs and, and paintings. They were one of the wealthiest families in St. Louis. So there's no windows. 
there's just literally a big vault door like you'd see at a bank. We stepped in there, we're getting the books and out of nowhere, and there was no one else there except the owner who was upstairs in her office, we heard really loud. And I went like this and I looked down at my feet, which is where it came from. And then I looked this way and there's nothing there. And I said, that was a cat. And John goes, well, yeah, it was a cat. So I ran out into the hallway and there's nothing there. And there's no way that cat bolted that fast. It was right by our feet that we heard it. So I called up to Patty in her office. I said, Patty, did you guys get a cat? She goes, oh, Lord, did a cat get in? She went, oh, that cat. Never mind. It's okay. <laughs> so again, you heard him meow. Oh, so loud. And John heard it too. Wow. So when he looked at me and I said, are you happy now? <laughs> yes, yeah, see? I said, welcome to Lip Mansion. And there's just always something going on. Yeah, I heard about Lemp, you know, like a whole episode devoted to Lemp Mansion on some of these paranormal shows. And it is just hella haunted. It is like very much. I think I've spent the night there, oh my gosh, at least three times now. And it there's always something. And for me to hear the gunshots and the dog bark, it was like bang, bang, whoop, really loud right outside my door. Wow. And it was while I was researching the book and I hadn't finished all the research because there were nine kids in this family and I'm researching everybody. Well, Charles Lemp was the last of the Lemps to stay in the house. And by then it was deserted. He was there all alone, except for two caregivers that stayed in the carriage house out back, riddled with arthritis in his 70s. And I hadn't gotten to that part yet. And I was trying to figure out why was I hearing two gunshots and a dog bark. And when I got to the part on Charles, he had actually committed suicide in Limp Mansion by shooting himself and he shot his dog first because he didn't want to leave it there alone. Oh. And when I got to that part, the chills just went through me. I went, oh my gosh. But what bothers me is the sequence. I believe it was the house playing it back. It was a residual loop. But if he shot the dog first, you should have heard bang, bang, and then the dog bark. I heard bang, bang, and the dog bark was at the end. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You yeah. heard the dog bark first and then the two shots, but right. I heard the two shots and then the dog, unless he shot at it and missed a couple of times. I don't know. But that to me oh. to date is probably what I consider the biggest gift that a house has given me to hear that with a house that's had three members commit suicide over the generations by gunshot was just chilling. I mean, I still hear it when I think about it. Oh my goodness. Didn't they also have a family member that they kept hidden away? There is, there's still rumor to that effect that it was a young boy with autism that used to stay up in the attic with the help a lot. I did not find definitive proof of that. I do know that Julia Limp, the matriarch, did lose a little boy early, not quite in childbirth, but I think soon after. So I haven't been able to completely pin it down, but I'm not negating it. The tour guide there is very much convinced that Zeke, the little boy, is there. Right. And I know when I slept in the attic room, when something kicked the bed, my first thought was it felt like a child. 
because the kicks were clumsy, like hit and miss. It was down lower. It didn't feel like an adult. That was the first thing that came to my mind. And then that was at midnight. At five o'clock the next morning or five, the sun was coming up just barely. I could see a little bit of light between the blinds. I went to turn over and my feet wouldn't move. And there was weight to the left of my feet to where, and I'm going, oh no. (laughs) So I reached over for my cell phone to shine light on it. And it was one of the scariest moments of my life to turn that light on it. Because I thought, I don't really want to see what it is. What if when I turn the light on, it comes flying at me? And what it was, was two perfect impressions in the blanket right next to my feet. And they looked like a small child's shoe print. And I took a picture of it. I have the pictures of these things, a lot of them. The chandelier, when it would talk to me at limp, I'd ask it questions. I filmed that. Wow. So yeah, there's a lot going there. But to answer your question, I'm not saying there's not a child up there in the attic. I just couldn't pin down who he was, but I think there's somebody up there. Mm -hmm. I don't doubt that at all. And that family, there were, like you said, there were so many suicides. Mm -hmm. William Lemp Sr., Billy Lemp, Charles Lemp, perhaps Elsa Lemp. Did she commit suicide there? That one is still an unsolved mystery, and I believe she did not. Upon her parents' death, became the wealthiest single woman in St. Louis and had a mansion of her own about 10 minutes away. She'd had a turbulent marriage with her husband. They divorced, got back together. They'd only been off the honeymoon eight days when suddenly she shot in the chest while laying in bed at eight in the morning at her mansion. He claims he'd gone to get in the shower and heard a bam, bang noise. He thought she'd thrown something at the door to get his attention. He said when he came out, she's laying there with a bullet hole in her chest, gasping. So there's where the story diverges. The maid that heard the shot came running and said she ran in. He's standing near the bed, but the gun's clear across the room on a couch, which is really odd. He said that the gun was usually kept in the nightstand. It was a 22 that Elsa kept for safety, and it was usually kept in a drawer right there. How did it end up clear across the room on the couch? Later, the maid was shut up during the inquest. She changed her story, said she never heard anything, never went in the room. Hmm. And so a lot of people believe, I believe it was an accident. I think they were arguing and wrestling over it. And because of the angle of the shot, I think that it went off. Anybody that shoots themselves in the heart, you're like this, correct? Yeah. You're you're pointing right there. Her arm would have had to have been clear up here and shoot down because it came out through her ribs near her knee. Oh. How do you do that? Oh, right. That's interesting. And do you think that the, the Lump Mansion itself had some sort of paranormal activity innately? No, I, well, okay, let St. Louis, as you probably know, it's built on a cave system. And underneath Lent Mansion is a huge cave system. I don't think so. I think these were things that just happened. It started with William Lemp Sr. committing suicide, but he had just lost his youngest son, suddenly, who was going to be heir to the Lemp Brewery. Right. His best friend, Colonel Paps, with Paps Blue Ribbon Beer, died right after. Mm-hmm. And 
during my research, I found out because most people thought those were the reasons he just committed suicide. I found out he was actually in trouble financially and the sheriff had actually come and knocked on the door with a summons and he wasn't home. I think he was looking down the barrel of $400,000 or more. And so that's in the book that I found through research and old newspaper clippings. And so then after he died, Billy Limp Jr. did not want to work at the brewery, did not want to be the head of it. He reluctantly took the reins because his brother that was going to do it had died. And he prohibition hit. And this is a brewery and all of these brewers, and you know, this is St. Louis. So you had Anheuser-Busch right there and they got hit hard. And it was suddenly, what are we going to do? How long is it going to last? In the meantime, Elsa Limp died in 1920 and she was very close to Billy. So he lost his sister. Prohibition is just weighing him down. He's doing everything you think of to hold on to that business that his father and grandfather built. He finally gave up, and when he sold it, it was for pennies on the dollar, and he couldn't take it. It was 11 city blocks. That's how big that brewery was. They had their own railroad station, and he won. The depression kept getting worse. It kept. He'd been through a horrendous divorce. It was like the biggest scandal in St. Louis at the time. He'd remarried, and they were planning a European trip, and he came into work at Limp Mansion. It had now been turned into the offices for the Limp Brewery, and he'd been really depressed. And his secretary came in and said, I think you're looking better today. And he said, do you? Because I don't. And he sent his female secretary out to get some blueprints, and she barely got headed down the back staircase when there was a bang that came out of that office. It was originally the ladies' parlor for the house. She thought, because there were workmen there, somebody dropped a tool or a pipe, didn't think anything of it, but a young man there recognized it as a gunshot and came running and found Billy's feet sticking out from under the desk, and he shot himself in the chest. So if you look at it, it's actually just an accumulation of events. I think some melancholia ran through that family. And then the last one was Charles Lemp years later when the house was now abandoned and he was all alone. The arthritis was so bad, he was in pain constantly Mm. and he took his life. So Charles is interesting. He was like very close to Vincent Price. Really? Yeah, they would go gallery hopping and Vincent said, you know, I thought we were wealthy till I saw Charles Limp write out a check for a million dollars for a painting without even blinking. So when you go into Limp Mansion, Vincent Price also spent the night there several times. I find that very cool. That is really cool. Oh, very interesting. Now, I wanted to ask you while I have you here about Salem and the Salem Witch Trials, because that was a dark time in our history. So, you know, the activity, the hysteria began in the Reverend's old house, own household. Why do you think that was? There was a lot of factors going on. The Reverend, and and back then, unfortunately, they preached the devil more than they preached God. Right. From the pulpit. The Satan's alive and he's coming for you. And in the households, if you talk back to your parents, they call you Satan's child. You were constantly inundated with the threat of the devil. 
And you have to remember these people that put together Salem Village came over from England where they were burning witches by the hundreds. This was not some esoteric thing to them. It was very real. They believed witches existed. So you've got that mental thing going on. The devil's out there about to get you. Witches are real. So in Reverend Paris's home, he had a, a young daughter named Betty who was very high strung. She was one of those nervous personalities, and it might be because she thought the devil was coming every minute. I don't know. But she was like nine years old and just one of those sensitive children. Her 11-year-old cousin, Abigail, who was just the opposite, today we call it street smart, was staying with them because of she'd lost her parents, so she lived with them. Well, they had a African-American, I don't want to call her a slave, but basically she did all the housework and everything. Reverend Paris had brought her over from the Honduras. And so she would tell these stories from her home country, which was magic a little bit and that kind of thing. And the girls were fascinated with her. So one day they're bored out of their mind. It's January. You're snowed in, which is horrible. There's nothing to do other than read the Bible and do chores. And no one, the parents weren't there. And they said, Tichuba, show us who our husband's going to be. So there was this trick called the Venus glass, which you would break an egg yolk into the glass of water, barely stir it. And the form it took was supposed to show you who your former husband was. So if it took the form of a sickle, he was going to be a farmer. If it was an apron, a butcher, etc. And these girls were hoping to marry a wealthy man or somebody of substance, that was their only hope back then to get out of their situation and to have a good life with a husband that could earn a good living. Well, when Tichaba stirred it, it took the shape of a coffin. And little Betty, with her height, she starts freaking out because she thinks the devil's coming to get them because they trifled with black magic. So she freaks out, hides under the table, goes nuts. And when the parents start seeing this, just the way, what's the matter with you kind of thing. And then finally, she goes into almost like a trance where they couldn't get her to come out of it for a few days. So they bring a doctor in. He even puts a, a lit candle under her arm and she didn't react. He goes, this oh. isn't physical. This is of the devil. So suddenly little Betty's gotten out of doing all the chores She's getting all this adult attention, which was unheard of. These kids were almost as low as slaves. You didn't talk unless you were asked a question. You were at the bottom of the totem pole. Suddenly, all these adults are giving her attention. So her cousin, Abigail, who's noticing this, says, well, I want in on this. She starts barking like a dog, climbing under the furniture, pretends she's going to run into the fireplace with the fire going, takes kindling out that's lit, and throws it all over the place, flaps her oh arms, whoosh, whoosh, like she's a bird. And to make a long story short, now the adults are all noticing, the neighborhood teenage girls are noticing and going, ooh, this could work for me. So here was the turning point, Christy, is at first the adults were saying, what afflicts thee? Suddenly they said, who afflicts thee? because the physician had said, this is of the devil, or this is witchcraft. And now they're stuck. And little Betty, who was very close to Tichuba, threw her arms out and went, Tichuba, like, help me. And Tichuba, and they said, Tichuba, Tichuba's a witch. 
And that's how it started. And then suddenly the adults were whispering in the kids' ears to say, say Sarah Good, say Sarah Osborne. Because these were the women that lived in the village that people didn't like. They wanted to get rid of them. I mean, it's so insidious when you look at what really happened. So Tichuba and the two Sarahs were the first three to go on trial. And it just escalated from there. Oh, it's what a tragedy. I have to say, first of all, but I've heard that there's ley lines under Salem. Is that accurate? Yes, but they're mainly in what was then Salem Town. There was Salem Village, which today is Danvers and Peabody. Salem Town is the one we associate with all the Halloween stuff. It's where the stores and the Hawthorne Hotel and everything. There are a bunch of ley lines under there. And interestingly enough, during this one, this was going on in 1692, the judges' homes were built along those ley lines. So this was Salem Town, and it's where the trials were eventually moved to. And But they were two different things, Salem Village and Salem Town. They're about, if you're driving a car, about 10 minutes apart. Oh, okay. So yeah, I've never been there. I've always wanted to go. So I have no idea what the layout is. That is very interesting. So you've written so many books about true crime and paranormal. And I'm looking at your website now and they're all here. You've got a tab for true crime. You've got a tab for paranormal and then a tab for merchandise as well. And your website, of course, is Rebecca F. Pittman Books. And that is Rebecca F. as in Frank Pittman Books.com. And you've had a lot of media exposure as well. I've been really blessed, Christy, including you having me on. Oh. I never take it for granted. I appreciate so much that you guys share your forums with me. It means a lot. I've done, I think, five television shows by now and a lot of podcasts and radio. But what I love is that each of you have your own personality You've done your homework. You've got your own insights. I'm actually, I come away from these interviews learning a lot from you guys. And it's always a great exchange. And I really enjoy it. Wonderful. And what books do you have coming out next? To be honest, The Countdown to Murder, Alec Murdaugh, because the trial went six weeks instead of three, that book ended up to be 703 pages. Holy it took God. a chunk out of me. It was the story is still evolving. Every day was breaking news, and I'm going, no more breaking news because I'm trying to get it finished. I need a break from all yeah. the research. So I'm doing a novel, and it's called When Shadows Walk, and it is paranormal and true crime. Oh, that's gonna be fun. And I did want to mention you said that with the trial of Alec Murdoch, there was a remote viewing. Yes group that had weighed in. Do you have a minute for that? We have a minute for that. Yeah. Okay. Well, Michelle Freed, she is my publicist. She books shows for me and everything. So she said, did you know I have a remote viewing group? And I said, well, no. She goes, do you want to try it just for fun? And I said, sure. I've been to lectures on it. I totally believe in that. And for your listeners, it, it is a psychic kind of thing. So basically she said, just pick anything. I said, well, what do I do? And actually remote viewing, the Russians have been remote viewing us for a long time. CIA has Why? used the military. You give somebody a target number and that's it. 
and they will go there in their mind and tell you what they see. She goes, I don't want any names. I don't want any locations. I just want you to ask two questions. I said, you're kidding. You won't know who it is. And she goes, no, I don't want to know who it is. So I said, okay, the location and any people you see around it. I about died. What I had focused on was Stephen Smith, who was the 19-year-old young man that was beaten up and left in the road that's in the Alec Murdoch book. It's now under investigation. They did an exhumation and a grand jury, which is coming out any minute. They came back with this stuff that I, drawings and everything, they put him in South Carolina. They put him in the age bracket that he was. The drawings gave me chills. One of the things that a witness said was they heard somebody chased him through the trees before they beat him up. They drew a stick figure weaving between the pine trees. Oh, what was one of them said, I am looking down, I see a newspaper, two lines, and the word cracking. And I just went, what? And they sent these to me in February. This was April. I jumped up, went in and and got their report because just that morning, and we're talking April, they sent that thing to me in February about the newspaper. It's brand new April headlines, SLED, which is the South Carolina Law Enforcement Division, cracks Stephen Smith's phone. And it had a second line, which was the rape kit is still missing. She said she saw two headline, two sentences in a headline, cracking in quotes. The only thing she got wrong was it said cracked. But I'm going, are you kidding me? There is no way that that's a coincidence and that she had it in quotes. And the hair still stands up on my arms every time I see that because she said it three months earlier than the headline came out. Isn't that amazing? That is crazy. So there really is something to all of this, Rebecca. Oh, I have no doubt. And with the drawings that they sent... They did say some things that are not on the radar that I've never heard of. And when that grand jury report comes back, if they got that right too, it's going to be insane. But I went ahead and put it in the book. I told Michelle, I said, I'm putting it in there. There's no way this was a coincidence. I love it. Fascinating. Okay, well, everybody go read Rebecca's (laughs) books. Thank you, Christy. These are fun, fun, fun topics. Thank you so much for being with me. And when your novel comes out, I'd love to talk to you about that. Oh, thank you. That would be awesome. Yeah, I can't get away from murder and ghosts. I guess I'm weird. <laughs> well, then I'm weird too. Thank oh, you. Good. Thank, thank you for joining me today. All right. And happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Radiate Wellness is an international community of holistic and alternative healers dedicated to helping you create spiritual, energetic, and physical well-being. To learn more about our practitioners, services, classes, and events, or to schedule an appointment, visit us at radiatewellnesscommunity.com. Are you ready to ignite your best life and illuminate the world? 
I'm Stephanie James. I'm a motivational speaker, transformation coach, and psychotherapist. And what lights me up is helping people just like you create the greatest versions of themselves. On my podcast, Igniting the Spark, I will help you ignite your joy and reach new heights in your personal and professional life. Join me for some incredible conversations with authors, spiritual teachers, and other influential thought leaders to help guide you on your way. If you are ready to stop playing small, join me for Igniting the Spark on the mindbodyspirit.fm network or wherever you get your podcasts and ignite your best life.